Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Now that we've discussed the first battle of Beleriand, we need to go back to the battle under the stars. Dagar Nuin Giliath. The one that saw the final moments of Feanor when he and a small group of elves continued onward from the rest of the Noldor and ended up surrounded by Balrogs. And of course, this was his final moments. Now, there are other parts of this conflict that we haven't discussed yet. Now, I'll save you some of the details about where specific groups went and who went to what location and, and all of that. It's a little confusing, and it's also not the most important bits of the story. The most important parts here have to do with the fact that initially, the elves were not prepared. Yes, they were on their way to <laughs> mount an attack against Melkor, Morgoth, and whatever was standing in their way, they were willing to fight, but they were not prepared for what was standing in their way, obviously with the Balrogs. Now, there are some other details here. Remember, at the end of the Battle of Beleriand, Melkor pulls all of his orcs from the field and moves them against the Noldor. They mount a surprise attack, and Melkor doesn't just attack them with orcs. Now, the, he holds the Balrogs in reserve, but he sends on them orcs and werewolves. Yes, werewolves. And you might be thinking, werewolves? Wait, this is a thing in Middle-earth lore in Tolkien's stories? And let me let me pitch this idea to you, because it's not that far-fetched when we've already met a character from The Hobbit named Bjorn, and Bjorn was a skin changer. He could change into a bear. So, in a way, Bjorn is a were-bear. <laughs> and as far as we know, it's all based on when he wants to turn. It's not based on, say, the moon, which by the way, we'll be talking about later on in this episode. So hold on for the ride. We're finishing up the battle under the stars and the terrible circumstances that lead to the fact that I'm surrounded by a bunch of wind. And, well, that's not for me. That's for another character. I'll explain that, and then we'll get to the things that the Valar have been up to in the meantime. So here we go. At the moment of Feanor's death, he curses Angband, the fortress of Melkor, three times, or in Tolkien's words, thrice, which is a great word. We don't use it enough. And at that moment, he knew that his elves, his children, the party that he had with him, on their own, on their in their own power, 
would never be able to throw down the Dark Tower. That Melkor was too strong. That his forces were too powerful. So in that moment, in the moment of Feanor's death, he has this sense that the thing that he sought out to do, the thing that he drove his children to follow him into, may not ever really be achieved. And you can imagine the sorrow that he would feel in that moment. I mean, yes, he's about to die. Like there's, there's sorrow in that for himself, but in the thing that he catapulted everyone else into, I get the sense that he knows this is on him. This is his fault. And in that moment, when he dies, his body turns to ash. His fiery spirit reduces his fleshy form to ash, which is kind of remarkable when you think about it. Now, the rest of the elves, the Noldor, his children, look to Maedros to lead them. Maedros is the eldest son of Feanor. And of course, all of his children are there with him and a number of other Noldor Leadership responsibility here falls to Maedros. Maedros the Tall is what he's known as. He also has a few other names, of course. The father name, and you've heard of this before, they, sometimes they get father names, was Nelia Finway, so Finway the Third. So he's the third oldest son in the line of Finway, the grandson of Finway. And his mother name was Maitimo which means well-shaped one, which is going to be ironic in a little bit. Now, you might be wondering, okay, how many sons were there? We haven't really gone over all of that. And I'm going to give you a bunch of names just to kind of put them in your back pockets, but don't worry too much about the names right here. We have the next in line was Maglor, the minstrel, Keligorm, the fair, Carinthir, the dark, Kurufin, the crafty, Amrod and Amras. Now, you might notice here also that none of Feanor's children have names that start with F. This is one of those themes, right, where you end up with these echoes of names that are based around the parent's name and, and all of that. And every variation of these don't begin with F. So that's kind of an easy way to remember if some of these names come up and they start with an M or a C or an A, then maybe they are children of Feanor. So Maedros is given responsibility of the party here, of the group, of all of these warriors who have traveled across the sea and are trying to mount an attack on Melkor. And he realizes that moving forward, against the Balrogs to the fortress would be folly. So he pulls everyone back and together they craft a structure that's kind of a a makeshift fortress. They build a camp, they set up some walls, some barriers, some buildings, and they begin to determine what to do next. And while they're doing this, Melkor sends them a message. And I have to try to picture this in my mind. Like, what, a small group of orcs come up in their broken speech 
and talk to these powerful Noldor who are now fortified and bring a message. And they basically tell them that Melkor is willing to give up a Silmaril in order to end the conflict. Let's put this to rest. There doesn't need to be any more bloodshed. We'll both live peacefully in our own places and I'll give you a Silmaril. Now that sounds too good to be true. Why would Melkor do that at this point? And Majros isn't an idiot. He knows this. He knows this is a trap, but he's willing to entreat with them. He's willing to meet with them at the moment decided and bring with him a considerable host. In fact, he knows this is a trap. And so he brings more backup support than what was agreed upon because it seems to me that he figures it's worth the risk. If there's a Silmaril involved, if they can get one of those back, if they can learn more about the enemy, it's at least worth meeting and bringing a strong force with them. So if conflict does break out, then they've got a pretty solid chance. And again, you have to remember that these Noldor are powered by the trees of Valinor. They're still pumped up with this like tree juice. I mean, that's kind of a weird way to put it. They know that a host of orcs isn't really that difficult for them to handle. Heck, they even fought werewolves. But much like his father, he overestimates their abilities. Melkor meets them at the location, but he brings an even greater force. It is indeed a trap. Melkor's forces rout the elves and take Madros captive. The rest of the sons of Feanor are safe, and they receive a message. Basically, Melkor says, leave Beleriand and forsake this war. You cannot win. We've taken Madros. He is our captive. But unfortunately here, the sons of Feanor, or maybe fortunately, we'll see where this goes, They were constrained by their oath. They made a promise. Do you remember this? The oath goes, Be he foe or friend, be he foul or clean, brood of Morgoth or bright Vala, Elda or Maya or Aftercomer, man yet unborn upon Middle-earth, neither law nor love nor league of swords, dread nor danger, not a doom itself, shall defend him from Feanor and Feanor's kin. Whoso hideth or hoardeth or in hand taketh, finding keepeth or afar casteth a Silmaril. This swear we all. Death we will deal him ere day's ending. Woe unto world's end. Our word hear thou. Aru all father to the everlasting darkness doom us if our deed faileth on the holy mountain here in witness and our vow remember Manwe and Varda. They were bound to this. They could not leave or they would be doomed to darkness. Again, Feanor's words confined them, brought them here and left them 
to do what they needed to do. And now they've not only lost their father, but they've lost their eldest brother to being captured by Melkor. And you know that doesn't bode well. You know that's a terrible, terrible thing, right? Melkor is going to devise some form of torture, some form of terrible punishment. And he comes up with something. He takes Maedros up to the precipice of Thangorodrim, the big fortress, way up high on one of the walls of rock and hangs him there by his wrist, the wrist of his right hand. Maedros is hung and is left on the side of a rock wall for anyone who comes close enough to see as a warning to all of the elves. But he's not killed. This isn't a dead body hanging by its wrist. This is a living elf whom Melkor keeps alive to weather the environment, the sun, the cold. And he's almost like a taunt to the rest of the elves. You can see your brother come get him. But yet they can't. They don't have the forces to mount an assault. And so poor Madros hangs, barely alive. The rest of the elves need to come up with a plan to save him. But it doesn't happen right away. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, friends, here we are in the middle of the show. I am your host, Tom or Robots. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you guys. And I need to call out some new members of our Patreon because I really appreciate these people as well. Tyler B., Tristan P., and Larry have all signed up within just the last few days at 
a VIP tier level. This is the third tier. This is the highest tier. Thank you to all of you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our patrons at this point. 18 of you have signed up to help support me. And that is amazing. Thank you so much. This is my full-time job, as I've mentioned before. And this, (laughs) you guys being here and helping to support the show helps to make sure that this is a priority, that I keep this going. And the response has been amazing. Thank you to all of you guys. It also helps, you know, put food on the table and pay for medical bills and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I really appreciate it. If you're wondering about the Patreon, it is at patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast. So Lord of the Rings, L-O-T-R Lorecast. And at the bottom tier, you get ad-free episodes. The middle tier, you get bonus episodes every week. And I think I'm the only podcast that actually does this, that tries to put out an extra episode for patrons every week. Some of them do it like once a month. No, you guys get one every week. And... I'm going to try to keep that going as long as I have extra topics to cover and extra questions to answer. So this week, I'll be going into some of the other details that is a little bit, I don't know, a little bit more nitpicky and detailed than the stuff that I want to put in these main episodes, because it's the kind of stuff that if you're really, really into the stuff, you really want to get the details. And specifically, I'll be detailing more about the timeline so you guys understand the amount of time that passes from the events that we've covered so far. That's going to be on the extra episode this week. Plus, you get all the other extra episodes and you make my day. So thank you to everybody who supports the show. Also, we have some reviews. This is another wonderful way to support the show, leaving a five star rating or also leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify that you can't really do reviews on Spotify yet, but you can do ratings on both. Even if you don't listen on those platforms, if you have an account and you go on there and you leave a rating, that is absolutely super beneficial. Thank you so much. I've tried to get through these real quick. We have we have four, uh, three of them. This one is from uh, Buello in Canada. There and back again. I recommend this podcast for any Tolkien fan. It has a great narrative. The content is wisely picked and the episodes have a perfect length. The host is a great storyteller and he makes it easy to understand the lore. It takes you there and back again. Winky face. I see what you did there. Thank you so much. That is such high praise. Thank you so much. Then we have one from Forever Roped in the US who wrote, Fantastic. So I just found this podcast today and I can't get enough. I am someone who, sad to say, got my first glimpse into this world through the Lord of the Rings movies. That don't be don't be sad about that. That's how most people probably got into it at this point. And have yet to read any of the novels. I've always wanted to dive into the lore and how this world was created. The host Tom does a wonderful job of reading into the lore and breaking it down into simpler terms for people like myself who may not know everything there is two, but wants to learn. I think I messed that up myself. Uh, There is something to be said of someone being able to explain complex topics and simple means. Keep up the great work, Luke H. Well, thank you so much, Luke. I really appreciate it. Then we have the last one. This is from Keldavis. I, maybe I mispronounced that in Great Britain who wrote, this show is a gem, a Silmaril, if you will. See what you did there. I love this show. I'm a big fan of the wider Lord of the Rings lore, but the books can at times be dense and sometimes difficult to make sense of. Tom does a great job of making this content accessible whilst maintaining the poetic nature and artistry of the original text. That's really, really nice of you to say. That is amazing. Tom clearly has a lot of respect for Tolkien's work 
and has respectfully crafted a wonderful show. Thank you so much to everybody. Man, you guys, every single one of you make my day. Every time one of these comes in, it's just like the smile that crosses my face. And then I, I go tell my wife and she's like, yeah, you do a good job. And I'm like, well, thanks. But they think so, too. <laughs> anyway, thank you to everybody. I'm going to stop taking your time up here in the middle of the show. Let's get on with the rest of the story. So in the meantime, while Majros is hung up on this wall, you might be wondering, what about the other elves? And I don't mean Fanor's sons and the, the Noldor that came over with them on the boats and burned the boats. What about the other Noldor, Fingolfin's group? Remember Fingolfin? Fanor's half-brother? The leader of the other group that got left behind, including Galadriel? Well, they were making their way across the Helcarax, the grinding ice, and they managed to do it, which is considerable because this was considered a pathway that would be very dangerous and Fanor decided was worth killing his brethren in order to take their ships. Well, Fangolfin and his group are badass. <laughs> Excuse the language, but I feel like that's a phrase that you can't replace with other words sometimes. They made it. Not all of them. There was death and there was suffering along the way. But they made it. And the time frame here is that it's about 20-ish years after the events of Feanor's group and the uh, conflict with Melkor and Melkor's group and Majorus being captured and all of that. It's about 20 more years. It took them years to cross and think about it this way. They're moving from one continent to another and all they have is their bodies. They don't have any vehicle. They're moving through very, very dangerous, difficult terrain. It takes them about 20 years. And during that same time span, there's the Valar. The Valar haven't been idle. They've been, of course, lamenting the events that took place, the leaving of Feanor and the rest of the Noldor. But they've also had to deal with the fact that the trees were killed. And everything that we've been talking about has been happening again in the darkness, under only the light of the stars. And we have this habit of picturing events in sunlight because that's how we exist in our world. But I always want to remind you from the time that Fanor leaves Valinor all the way through to the events of Majros being hung on that wall, all of this is in the dark, which is beneficial to Melkor's forces. And the Valar know that they need to do something about this. So they go to the trees and they notice that each of the trees has left something, something that they can use. Talpirian, the silver tree, has a last flower that survived the attack of Ungoliant. And Laurelin bore a single fruit. These trees actually acted like real trees. They flowered, they fruited. And out of these two objects, 
Aule. Remember the Vala Aule, the craftsman, was able to construct the sun and the moon. Or I guess I should say the moon and the sun, because we talked about Telperion first. And they devised a plan to place the moon and the sun in the sky and to move these objects around Arda. And in order to do that, they needed Maiar to drive these objects across the sky. Tilian, the hunter, who was in the companionship of Orome, was chosen to guide the moon. And one of Vana's Maiar, Arian, was chosen to guide the sun. And the moon was made first. This needs to be clear. The moon, just like the stars, just like objects of the nighttime, just like the elves, the moon was created first and was for the elves because the elves enjoyed the starlight and the moon would not blot out the stars. It would give them their nighttime. And the sun was created for the men who had yet to come because the Valar knew that would prefer to dwell in the light of the sun. And Melkor did not like this at all. The darkness was beneficial. And now there are two glowing orbs that move across the sky, especially the sun he despised. You know how when he goes to battle in the Lord of the Rings, issues forth these clouds that blot out the sun. He does that for a reason. The orcs are more powerful in the darkness and darkness occludes other creatures from seeing the things that he's doing. And here we have the moon and the sun lighting up the entire world. And Melkor mounted an attack on these objects, but he could not manage it. He was not powerful enough. And he failed. And there's another detail I need to point out here that I think is really cool. The moon was created first and was also placed in the sky first. The moon rose seven times before the sun finally followed. And this was in the 1500th year of the trees, the final year of the trees. The actual date here, if you use regular years, is 14373. It's been 14,000 years, regular years, of the years of the tree. And we finally have a sun and a moon. And the rising of the sun issues in the beginning of the years of the sun. The first age actually begins at this moment. And at this moment, a few other things have happened. You have Fingolfin's group finally making it across the Helcaraxa, meeting up with the remnants of Feanor's group. And you can imagine that that was pretty rough, but they still had a common enemy. And we'll go into more details about that in the future. You also have the decision of the Valar to separate Valinor and the entire continent from the rest of Middle Earth, from Beleriand and everywhere else. And so they create fortifications across the coastline and they create strings of islands out in the sea 
to block the passage of any boats so that no forces of Melkor, but also none of the elves or the men who are about to arrive can make their way to Valinor. And they cover these outer seas and islands with a confusing darkness, mists, an area similar to the area around Doriath, the girdle of Melian, which we talked about last time. The passage from the Silmarillion here is interesting. It says, and this is the very end of chapter 11. And in that time also, which songs call Nertale Valinoreva, or maybe Valinoreva, whatever pronunciation you'd like, the hiding of Valinor, the enchanted isles were set, and all the seas about them were filled with shadows and bewilderment. And these isles were strung as a net in the shadowy seas from the north to the south before Tol Aresia, the lonely isle, is reached by one sailing west. Hardly might any vessel pass between them, for in the dangerous sounds the waves sighed forever upon dark rocks shrouded in mist, and in the twilight a great weariness came upon mariners and a loathing of the sea, and all that ever set foot upon the islands were there entrapped and slept until the change of the world. Thus it was that as Mandos foretold to them in Araman the blessed realm was shut against the Noldor, and of the many messengers that in after days sailed into the west, none ever came to Valinor, save one only, the mightiest mariner of song. And so Valinor is set apart from everywhere else, and we're told of a single mariner who makes their way through the shrouded mists. But we'll get to that in the future, because that's it's a good way further in the story. Now, there's one other detail here about what occurs right at this moment, right at the beginning of the First Age. Far, far to the east, even beyond Kuvienen, the land that the elves woke up in, in a place known as Hildorian, which may well be the very eastern side of the continent of Middle-earth, along the shores of another ocean, seeing the sun rise in the west, the men awaken, and they begin to wander the continent and head toward the west, toward Beleriand, toward the kingdoms of the elves, but also the danger of Morgoth. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play.